Hey, this is the Mark Butler Show, episode 34, and let's just spend a few minutes this week continuing the Bookkeeping 101 series with a short conversation about contractors and the forms that are associated with paying your contractors and reporting what you paid those contractors to the government and all of that kind of mess. So first things first, a contractor is basically anyone that you retain, anyone that you hire to do some sort of work on an ongoing basis or on a project basis in your business. And this is the first important point of clarification because a contractor is a human, so you're hiring that human's hands and brain. And I make that distinction because when you hire a piece of software, you're not hiring a human. So software is not a contractor. So if you subscribe to Basecamp or if you subscribe to any number of services, you're not hiring a contractor in that case. So there's no reporting. There are no forms associated with those relationships. It's just you're paying a subscription or you're purchasing the software and that's that. So we're just starting there. When you hire a contractor, you're hiring a brain and a set of hands to do work for you in your business. One of the first questions people will ask me about contractors is how do I differentiate between a contractor and an employee? And a lot of times my clients will will use those terms interchangeably. They'll say my staff or my employees or whatever, and they'll group their contractors, their contract labor in under that heading of employees and staff. Well, in practice, that might be correct because they're, they're all kind of part of the team getting the job done, helping the business achieve its goals. But from a technical perspective, your contractor is not an employee. And that matters because... If a person is an employee, if they're your employee, then they have certain rights depending on the state that your company is is located in. You have to pay them through a payroll service. You have to do payroll tax withholding on their behalf, meaning the employee's income taxes you withhold and then and then you pay those to the state or to the federal government. You also pay payroll taxes as an employer on the wages that you're paying your employees. So This is very different from a contractor because with a contractor, you're just paying them for the work they've done. So if you retain a web designer to build you a new website and the the contract is for $10,000, then you pay them $10,000 and you're done. There's no payroll taxes. There's no withholding. There's no nothing. Usually. There are exceptions to that rule, but not really that I've come across in the last four years. So when you hire a contractor, you pay them directly and then they are completely responsible for all of their taxes. But contractors aren't just project-based, like the web designer I just gave you that example. Contractors can also work on retainer. I'm a contractor for all of my clients. They pay me a monthly retainer. I do work for them on an ongoing basis, but I'm still not one of their employees. So that might leave you wondering, well, then what is the difference between a contractor and an employee? Why is Mark Butler a contractor for his clients as opposed to an employee of his clients? What, what draws the line between contractor and employee? Now, I'm not a lawyer. I'm especially not an employment lawyer. I'm not a tax lawyer. I'm not a CPA. So as I explain all of this to you, we're just two business owners chatting, and you need to consult with your legal counsel and your CPA, and, and you need to Google it, and you need to research all that you can so that you know that you're compliant. But I'm just going to give you some highlights of what it means to be a contractor versus an employee and how you're going to deal with your contractors. So if I were to boil down the difference between contractors and employees to one word, it would be control. And here's what I mean. As a contractor, I have made a commitment to deliver certain things, certain work at a certain quality to my clients. They can expect that of me. And if I don't do it, of course, they're going to fire me. 
even if I do the work and if I'm effective and all of that, they can still just fire me. That's also part of being a contractor where they don't really have any responsibility to me because I'm a contractor. They can end the relationship at any time based on the terms of our agreement, but there are no legal ramifications to them of firing me without cause, for example, which there would be as an employee. Okay, but back to this idea of control. I, as a contractor, have total control over how I do the work that my client has asked me to do, where I do the work. I can work from anywhere as a contractor, unless, again, in the specific agreement that I have with my client, they, you know, they say I have to be on site or whatever. But as a contractor, I, that's negotiable. As an employee, it's also technically negotiable, but there's a different expectation with employees of where they'll do the work and when they'll do the work. Whereas as a contractor, it doesn't matter whether I do the work on Sunday night or Thursday morning, or Wednesday afternoon, it doesn't matter. Because I have control over how, when, and where I do that work, as long as I'm meeting the terms of the agreement with my client. But if my client started to exert more control over me, or try to, and say, well, we actually do want you in the office, and we want you in the office Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. And actually, not just that, but we also really don't want you to have any other clients. All of a sudden, they're starting to treat me like an employee. They're starting to act as though they have more control over me than employers are typically entitled to with their contractors. This is a level of control that employers have over their employees. And because they have more control over their employees, their employees are then entitled to certain benefits that a contractor wouldn't be. For example, it might be health insurance benefits, it might be uh, 401k benefits and that sort of thing, paid time off, equipment. As a contractor, I'm responsible for all of my own equipment. As an employee, my employer needs to be providing me with the equipment that's required to do my job. But, but if I have a client who's treating me like an employee and trying to require things of me that would only be required of an employee and not giving me access to the protections that employees get in the form of some of these fringe benefits like health insurance, 401ks, and that sort of thing, but also unemployment, if I'm fired, uh, paid time off, maternity and paternity leave, that sort of thing. If they're trying to treat me and control me like an employee, but not give me those benefits, well, that's where the government has a problem. And that's what they don't want to, that's what they want to prevent. Also, if a client is treating me like an employee, asking me to be at certain places at certain times, trying to limit my ability to work with other companies or other clients, and not giving me these other benefits. The other thing they're doing is they're saving themselves the payroll taxes they would have to pay on my wages if I were their actual employee. The thing about being a contractor is, and many of you already know this, we pay more taxes as a contractor, as an independent person, because we're paying the employee's share of the taxes and the employer's share of the taxes. The government is saying, you're self-employed, Employers pay taxes. Well, you employ yourself, so you're going to pay the employer's taxes. Also, you're the employee, so you're going to pay the employee's taxes. When a, when a client treats you like an employee and controls you like you're an employee, but also wants you to pay taxes as though you're self-employed, this is where things are out of whack. And the government does not want this. The government wants to protect employees from this mistreatment by employers. So that's why they have this 20-point test that they publish. And it's online. You can Google it, 20-point contractor test. And that test is a way for employers and employees and contractors 
to check to see whether they're actually an employee, even if they're being paid like a contractor. For a few years, it seemed like every year my CPA, my accountant would say, hey, I want you to review the 20-point test. Let's make sure you're compliant. Let's make sure that the people you're working with as contractors are not actually employees in the government size. Because if you had a contractor that you were really treating like an employee, but not giving the benefits of employment, and that person were to complain to your state's labor board, then they come after you and the fines are gnarly. That's all you need to know is the fines are bad. It's going to be back taxes. It's going to be penalties. It's going to, it's going to be a mess. So as an employer, check out that 20-point test. Make sure you're compliant. And if it's me, I'm going to err on the side of paying someone like an employee, putting them on a payroll service, paying the payroll taxes, doing everything above board, rather than risk these big fines and penalties down the road. But that's the basic difference between employees and contractors. It's control. As a contractor, I can have as many clients as I want. I can work whenever I want, wherever I want, however I want, with my own equipment. And all I have to do is fulfill the terms of our agreement. If I'm an employee, my employer has much more control over how I work, when I work, where I work. But I also have benefits as an employee that include the payroll taxes, possibly health insurance, possibly 401ks, getting the equipment that I need, having office space provided, training, et cetera, et cetera, okay? That's the biggest difference between a contractor and an employee. For the vast majority of solopreneurs, you probably don't have any employees. And in fact, the relationships that you have with your contractors are probably completely valid contractor relationships, meaning you're not trying to exert undue control on them. You're not treating them like an employee while trying to keep them under that contractor label. But go to Google, check out the 20-point contractor test, and you'll find you're probably fine. Once your business grows and you realize, oh, I'm working with Jane 40 hours a week. In fact, I've asked Jane to work with me 40 hours a week, and I bought her a laptop, and I give her a lot of training, and you know what, she needs, some, she, she needs some health insurance, so I'm going to reimburse her health insurance. You start wandering into these areas, you have an employee, and you need to act accordingly. So just be aware of that. Be aware of that as a potential employer and also as a contractor slash potential employee. But let's say that you're just dealing with contractors. What are the compliance hoops that you need to jump through? When I bring a new contractor in to work with me, when I engage them in any kind of a project, the very first thing that I need to do is to get them to fill out what's called a W-9 and give me that W-9. And on that W-9, they'll put their name and their phone number and their address and their business name if they have one. They will make it clear on that form what, uh, what type of entity they are, how they are treated for tax purposes. Maybe they're a sole proprietor. Maybe they're an LLC Maybe, maybe they're a, an S-corp. Their W-9 will make that clear to me. I take that W-9 and then I use it at the end of the year to fill out what's called their 1099. Now, their 1099 is a form that tells them and the government how much money I paid them in the last calendar year. I'm required to give a contractor a 1099 under a few circumstances. So I want you to go Google this and read the IRS's information, but I'll give you the, the biggest ones. The first one is, if I've paid that contractor more than $600 in a calendar year, I need to give them a 1099. If everyone that you ever worked with as a contractor, 
that you paid more than $600 in a calendar year. If you give them a 1099, you will never be wrong in doing that. It's never a bad idea to give a person a 1099 because what the government's really trying to accomplish here is they're trying to make sure that you're reporting the wages that you're paying out. They're trying to avoid people being paid what's called under the table or paid in cash because then those people can avoid paying taxes on that. So the government can say, we know that you paid Jane Doe $850 last year. Jane Doe can't pretend she didn't earn that $850 from you. She can't pretend that there's not taxes due on that $850. So that's why we're filing 1099s in the first place. It also has the benefit of letting Jane Doe know exactly how much you paid her in the last year so that she can do her taxes. Now, Jane Doe should have been doing her own bookkeeping. So the reality is, if she needs a 1099 from you, it just means that she's not doing her bookkeeping. But it's just never a bad idea to go ahead and give anyone that you paid more than $600 in a calendar year a 1099. Now, here are the exceptions. First of all, if a person is an S-corp, you don't have to give them a 1099. So I, I file taxes as an S-corp. So none of my clients are required to give me a 1099. And they're also not required to get a form W-9 from me when we start working together. And that's because as an S-corp, I have to file a certain type of tax return that will make it clear exactly how much I earned in that year anyway. So I'm already going to be reporting to the government exactly how much money I earned as an S-corp. So the 1099 would be redundant in that case. Another couple of exceptions here. If you paid a person with a credit card or if you paid them through PayPal you also don't technically have to give them a 1099. If you paid people through PayPal using the friends and family service, like the fee-free thing, first of all, you're in violation of PayPal's terms. So just a heads up on that, that they'll cancel your PayPal account if you're paying contractors and trying to avoid fees by calling them friends and family. But if you don't try to cheat PayPal out of their fees and you go ahead and pay people's invoices through PayPal, that creates a record of that transaction. And at the end of the year, PayPal sends that person a record of here's how much money you earned through PayPal in the last year. If I, as the client, pay my contractors through PayPal, I don't have to give those people a 1099 because PayPal will send them an equivalent form that verifies the amount of money that they earned. Same thing for credit cards. So if your contractor has you process payment through Stripe or PayPal or any other invoicing service, QuickBooks, whatever, that will also create an electronic record of those payments. And then those processors are required to send notification to your contractor of here's how much money you made through our payment processing service in the last 12 months. So now that record has been established and I, as the client, don't have to send that person a 1099 anymore. Well, if you think about it, the number of 1099s you'll actually have to send goes way down when you realize that it's very common that either A, your contractor is an S-corp, or B, you paid them with a credit card, or C, you paid them with PayPal. So you probably don't have that many 1099s to send in any given year, even if you have quite a few contractors. So double check on all that. And again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a CPA. Verify all this with some quick, easy Google searches. I'm just giving you food for thought here. So the end of the year comes and it's time to actually generate and send my 1099s. Well, in order to do that, first of all, hopefully I've been doing my bookkeeping because if I've been doing my bookkeeping, looking up exactly how much I paid my contractors will take about five minutes. And when I look up how much I've paid them all, 
I'll quickly see who I paid more than 600 and who I paid less than 600. I will also quickly see whether I paid them with a credit card or PayPal or with a check. And then I'll have a quick list of here are the the 1099s that I actually need to generate. Well, how do I do that? I have always used a service called Track 1099, T-R-A-C-K-1099.com. The reason I do this is because it makes the process so simple. I can send my contractors a link from track1099.com that has them fill out a W-9. Once they fill the W-9 out through track 1099, all I have to do is then enter the amount of money that I paid that person and track 1099 generates the 1099, sends it to the government, sends it to the contractor. I have a copy. We're all good to go. I can't remember exactly what it costs to do all that. Maybe 99 cents or $1.49 per 1099. I can't remember which but it's really a breeze. The key to this whole thing is collecting the the W-9 form, getting the initial information from the contractor right when you start working with him or her. Because 1099s are due on January 31st. So if I'm asking for people to fill out the information form, the W-9, on January 20th, they might not ever get back to me. And if they don't get back to me, then I can't fill out the 1099. And if I can't fill out the 1099, now I'm not in compliance. Now, it doesn't mean that the FBI is going to come kick my door down, but it does mean that I'm not compliant with the law, and you, you want to be. It's just, it's just better to not have to worry about that. So the key is when you start working with a contractor, before you make their first payment, require them to give you the W-9. Require them to fill out that form so that when 1099 season rolls around in January. You already have everybody's information. You just plug in the numbers that you paid them. You send out the forms. You might pay $10, $15, $20 per year in 1099 fees through Track 1099 if you choose to use that service, and you're good to go. So that's it. That's, That's a pretty quick overview of what's a contractor versus what's an employee and What's a W-9, what's a 1099, and who needs to get a 1099 from you by January 31st for the previous year? In other words, by January 31st, 2018, for the money that you paid them in 2017. Now, the last thing I'll say, since I know I have a lot of uh, online business owners in my audience, people ask me, do I need to give my affiliates 1099s? And all of the same rules apply to your affiliates that apply to contractors that I just outlined a minute ago. So... If you paid that affiliate more than $600, you'll never go wrong giving them a 1099. But if you paid that affiliate through PayPal, like lots of affiliate programs use PayPal MassPay, for example, if you paid your affiliates through PayPal or through some other electronic service that generates an electronic record of that of the money that you paid them, then you may not, strictly speaking, be required to give them a 1099, which is great news if you have 100 affiliates that you paid over $600, if you paid them all through PayPal MassPay and paid your fees and did it all above board, then they will get an electronic record of the income that they earned through PayPal and you don't have to send a 1099. Verify that for yourself, but I think you'll find you've got some good news there. Listen, that's it for this week. That's one more installment of Bookkeeping 101. If you're enjoying the series and if you want to learn how I do bookkeeping for myself and for my clients, go to letsdothebooks.com. Check out the program there. And other than that, I will talk to you next weekend with another episode of The Mark Butler Show. Have a great week.